Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology, the podcast where you can learn about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and data science direct from the top industry leaders. We speak with them to get their lessons learned, their mistakes, and we focus on extracting the insights that they would like to pass on to the next generation of data professionals. My name is Felipe Flores. I am your host. Thank you so much for being here. I hope that you're having a wonderful, wonderful week. In today's episode, we speak with Scott Taylor. You might know him as the Data Whisperer. Scott is a master data influencer. He is a speaker, a consultant, and you might have seen a lot of his great content online where he makes both very, sometimes very insightful videos, sometimes he makes very funny videos, sometimes he makes videos that do both. We had an absolute blast speaking during this episode. He has some fantastic perspectives on why getting your data in order is such an important step. He's very eloquent on how he describes the importance of master data management, not only for technical people, but more importantly for the executives. So how can we communicate the value that this sometimes very tedious task and sometimes very sort of background task of master data management, how we can highlight the value and importance of it to senior executives. Scott is extremely experienced in doing that and helping teams get the, get the funding, raise the profile of this activity, of this part of the value chain. And he has some fantastic insights and great stories for us. I hope you enjoy it. Here's the episode with Scott. Brilliant. Thank you so much for making the time and being in the show. Been looking forward to speaking with you. How are you going today? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. On the other, talking from the other side of the world, but uh, all I know, about right? data. Yes, exactly. Technology is good, man. I love the content that you produce. I love your approach to data and massive data management. I love the videos that you make. So very keen to ask you lots about that. But before we jump in, tell me, how did you get started in data? How did I get started in data? So it's a while ago. I started off with a company that's now part of Nielsen, and they had a very old database that was a list of supermarkets, essentially a list of supermarkets. Mm -hmm. But it was really well structured. It was beautifully mastered. It was even before people talked about MDM or master data. And this content, I discovered listening to customers, they were buying it for reasons that we weren't really selling. So if you're a good salesperson, marketer, whatever, you listen for that. So these customers mm. are saying, all this other cool stuff you have, analytics, metrics on top of this, what we really need is this really finely mastered set of core content about the locations, in this case, in the supermarket industry. And we had yes. a unique code. We had a standard hierarchy. We had common classifications. We had geography assignments, you know, geography information. We had a way to link to other sources of data. I now call those things the four C's, code, company, category, country, you know, so you need nice. a you need a hierarchy, you need a categorization, you need geography. And I wish I talked this way when I started in the business, I probably could have sold more. But what happened was it became a standard, a de facto standard mm. in the package goods business. And I saw what happened when parties who needed to communicate, integrate, somehow share data had a common taxonomy, shared essentially one data. Uh. And it is yeah. still the, the holy grail of holy grails mm -hmm. today. And so I watched what happened and it was miraculous. And so I went from the lowest salesperson on the rung to eventually general manager of the business because I branded it. I repositioned it. We had a team. It was wonderful. But we all went on this visionary escapade of we can create a common language for store and account locations. And we built a true network effect 
I was very spoiled then because this was a while ago. It was, let's just say it was in the previous century. So that'll give you some sense. And it was manual. We were swapping files, uh-huh. or sending disks or FTP. So it wasn't this integrated platform like people like Snowflake and sell. None of yeah. that existed. But the notion of that is still super relevant. And so I never looked back after that. It was, wow, this is what happens. And I had a lot of customers basically sit me down and say, this is what we need from you. This is why it's important. And I knew nothing about it. I didn't come from the data Mm. business. I mean, I kind of talk about how I spent a lot of time master data, reference data, taxonomy space. And when I was a kid, my parents told me I, instead of building with my Lego blocks, I sorted them. So I think I'm kind of hardwired for this, you know, so that at least as an anecdote, maybe that was the original nugget. But I came at it from being a really good sales guy and eventually a marketer and branding this content and telling a good story. And so that's yes. what I did. Because when I started in this business, when I started that company is 30 years old already. So they had yeah. this legacy database. One of the sales leader came in and said, I'd like to show you our pitch. And it was a deck that was, you know, this thick. It was like two inches ah. thick. And, pre- and no. even then I went, they're paying me and I can't sit through this. So I, yeah, I figured out a way to bring it alive. And that's what I've been doing almost every day since is bringing the value of foundational data, the strategic importance of proper data management alive for the business side. Yes. And that's been my niche ever since. What I find so interesting is that you honed into what the customers were saying and what they actually needed because the words wouldn't have been the exact words that would be used in the industry. So the customers wouldn't say, we need master data management. They might say, we have bad quality data. We want our data to be better here or to be better handled and things like that. So you did the connection, but also you brought to life what a lot of people think that is the less sexy part of the industry but on the other side it's so foundational and it's a holy grail as you said it runs everything i find it so interesting that you went into that niche and brought it to life in such a engaging manner obviously even humorous manner with some of your videos with the puppets how did you develop that how was it that you were able to take something that's quite dry and that a lot of people tend to stay away from it because they it is seen as dry and you bring it to life in such an engaging manner. Beautiful introduction here too. Though. Thank you. And it's that has definitely been always part of my life. So when I was a kid in school, instead mm. of writing a history paper, I would do an animation about Napoleon. So I would do a game instead of, and so for me, it was almost a survival thing because I found that stuff really dry, really boring. I was very creative, yeah. still am, I believe. Yeah. And just mm. when I was just a line salesperson, I was always looking for a way to get off the page, to be mm. different mm. in an engaging manner. I mean, today they call that content, but they used mm. to just call it, you know, doing something wacky. I was always looking for that opportunity, but you hit right on it. This is the driest part of the space. I love opening up. I do a lot of conferences where I chair them. I love opening up in the morning and saying, we're going to have an exciting morning about MDM. I bet you never heard that before. You know, <laughs> it's, rare, it's always eyes roll. And so now I've kind of taken on this, certainly part of a lot of people feel this way, mm-hmm. but sort of taken on this sort of self-defined role as an advocate for proper data management. Yes. Like, there's plenty of folks out there talking about how great analytics are, data science. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. on, I feel honored to be on your role of folks who've been on this podcast because most of them are, I couldn't hold a candle to their analytic ability, their data science experience. But I know after all these years, and seeing it so many times that their stuff doesn't work without the stuff that I talk about. And so you need data management first before you do business intelligence. I kind of divide the data space at the phylum level, right? If you remember your high school biology, you know, kingdom phylum class. So at the phylum level, it's like there's data management, 
and there's business intelligence. And, mm. or I like to talk about it as determining the truth and deriving meaning. You got to have the truth first. It's not chicken or egg here. It is egg and omelet. You got to have the truth first. And that's where I start and end too. It's like, get the truth. Then you can do all the cool, sexy stuff. I seem to have struck a chord. This happened also when I was selling back, when I was part of the Nielsen company, we would talk to IT people who then finally IT, everybody realizes, okay, IT shouldn't handle all data. That's probably a topic of another part of the conversation. But these IT folks were really great practitioners. They understood data. They understood the movement. They understood all the technology, but they couldn't explain. And so I, that's where I realized, okay, I live in this niche between the technical side, which gets it done, the how side. I kind of bring the why to it. You know, your CEO doesn't care about data quality. They don't care about reference data architecture. They don't care about all these pipes. They just want to, how's this going to help you with the business? Mm -hmm. And high level, you know, upper level senior business stakeholders don't have a lot of time to listen to it. So I found a way to sort of be that translator. It's a small niche and I love it. I thrive in it. I'm a ball. Puppets, cartoons. I showed the Marx Brothers at a conference the other day. A Marx Brothers clip that just showed the classic discussion between the business side and IT. I'll send you that link because it's... That would be great. It's a movie yeah, I watched and- a thousand times and the 999th time I went, oh, this might be about something else. There's something else going on. I see the here with Chico. They're like, this is relevant to the IT and data space. That's fantastic. Oh, that'd be fantastic. And we'll, and we'll put the link on the show notes. So tell me, in the time that you've been involved in MDM, how have you seen the industry shift and change over this time? People I talk to, too, who, again, are from the previous century, they started the data business. We always kind of smile because people always talk about how data is the new whatever, and I yeah. know it's not the new anything. All right, so you can <laughs> find about the poultry later. Is it oil? Is it currency? Is it gold? Is it tofu? Is it bacon? But no matter what, it ain't new. All right, so welcome to the club. And there's this frustration in the space, right? Because you MDM has not gotten where it should. Every, the great. promise of MDM, and I deal with this all the time. People go, well, it's so great. Why isn't everybody doing it? Because it's mm-hmm. hard, because yes. it takes a commitment, and this is recently really being discovered, a commitment at the cultural level. And there was also a lot of overpromising. I mean, there was classic ocean boiling going on. So the notion of it is really important. It's vital, but MDM isn't new. So it's not cool. It's not sexy. It doesn't have that spark. It's a lot of confusion in the space, which we can talk about a lot of the things people say in the MDM space, single Mm -hmm. version of the truth, golden record, silos are starting to get co-opted by other categories. So there's always been this confusion. And it doesn't do anything by itself. That's another big problem. So in my experience, you don't see the value of good quality data, but you feel it. So you can't show somebody, here's a cool dashboard of better data because they won't know the difference yet until they made Mm -hmm. a bad decision. And as I like to say, good decisions made on bad data are just bad decisions you don't know about yet. Everything demos well. Everything demos Mm -hmm. beautifully because the data is perfect, (laughs) right? And then and they skip this part of I had a discussion today with somebody. I had breakfast with them and they were talking about Salesforce doing stuff. And I said, they sell you a kitchen. That's what they sell you. They sell you a beautiful kitchen. Yes. There's no food Mm -hmm. in it. And you need to Mm -hmm. cook. Now you need the kitchen, but nobody says, oh, Make sure to stock it with the right ingredients. I like the food analogy best for data. When you land in yes. all that poultry, that for me seems, you know, and I'm the sous chef over here, right? You usually interview the Michelin uh, three-star folks out there, five-star folks, and I'm kind of the sous chef in the back, making sure you've got the right ingredients, chopped up right, we're ready to go. And um, 
So for me, that's really important to just continue to remind people of ingredients and so on. But to answer your question, I know I sort of went on there. What's happening at MBM, I think now it's the stakes are higher. So mm. it really can be a time where if you don't get this right, you could be out of business. You yes. could be disrupted, however you want to classify that. And if you think about the classic disruptors out there, be Uber, Amazon, they came powered by data. And they had an inherent understanding, whether they were avert or declarative about it or not, an inherent understanding of the value of well-structured data to power the services that we're trying to produce. A lot of folks are getting disrupted. They think it's just the app, but it's not, right? We both know that you hit your thumb on something on your screen. It doesn't work unless there's good quality, well-structured data behind the scenes that make it happen. And there's a lot of risk with a lot of these legacy companies that if they don't get it right, Bad data could be the reason that, or at least a, a part of why they're going out of business. So what's nice mm-hmm. in the MDM space is the stakes are higher. Yes, 100% agree. I think um, it is something that more and more people are realizing. And I think that the more of the conversation is shifting to what are the inputs to our analysis? What are the inputs to our algorithms? How do we make sure that those inputs are in the best shape possible and that we understand when we're going into somewhere that it might hurt us if we go blindly? What do you think people are not getting right about MDM? What are they not understanding at the moment? What are some of the things that they might be confused about that you're helping people with uh, currently? I guess a short answer to that is everything. But uh, yes, (laughs) a little bit. Um, Next question. Before I go too deep into that, I actually draw a distinction between MDM as a practice area, as a form of commercial package software, as a platform, and Mm -hmm. master data, which is the end result. So I talk a lot about, okay, you need master data. However you get there, you can get there. And having worked on Bradstreet, at Nielsen, at data companies, a lot of the value we brought to these enterprises was what I started to call pre-mastered content. It's done already for you. It may not be 100%, but if it's 50 or 70 or 90, that's a lot of work you don't have to do. Correct. And a lot of MDM process went on at those suppliers to create that content, but get the master data however you need to. That's I'm a big mm. fan of standards, right? You got to go to standards, all that kind of stuff that enables it. But I think that back to your question around what people aren't getting right, I think it gets way too complicated very quickly. I think mm. that it gets distracted by the end result, right? Okay, we want analytics. We have these new data scientists in here. You haven't given people the tools, not the software, but the actual data content to do the job they need to do. And again, yes. realizing the biggest cliche in the data business, which I've tried to elevate a little bit, is GIGO. I call it the golden rule of data, right? Mm-hmm. Like, upon your data as you would have it do upon you. And it has to start. The challenges are, what's the ROI on master data? By itself, there isn't any. Find me the use case for just master data. It's kind of oxymoronic with an accent on the moronic. It's like it doesn't do anything (laughs) by itself, but it's the great enabler. So here are all the things you can't do. And the techniques, a lot of the work I do, almost everything I do now is around helping people tell a better story about their data. So Mm. data storytelling, which is very popular now, and rightfully Mm -hmm. so, is mostly focused on telling stories with data, which Mm -hmm. is super important. But I kind of take a couple chapters before that and go, okay, before you have the resources and the funding to do stuff in analytics to tell stories with, you got to have a pitch to your business stakeholders on why you need to even invest in data management in the first place. So tell the story about your data and the need for it. And a lot of that technique is trying to find the ways that data management 
management enables the strategic intentions of your enterprise. Where is your company going? What do they want to do? I mean, I'm really confident that if I look at the 10 objectives of any enterprise out there, at least half aren't going to get anywhere without mastery. None of them are going to say that. No CEO is going, give me more MDM. And if they are, they probably mm-hmm. think it's mobile device management. So we got a nomenclature problem. <laughs> but they will. And what I counsel people to do is say, don't talk about data quality. Others won't really get that. It's very emotional. It's very subjective. It's important. But you sound almost like you're whining. Mm. But they do understand customer. They do understand customer experience. They do understand the need to have a good product-related experience with their customers. They do understand the risk inherent in working with vendors and suppliers that aren't Mm -hmm. coordinated. You know, you can get into these business challenges Mm -hmm. very quickly. I'll recognize that. And then you say, okay, we need the data to back it up. Want to do that at scale? We need a common customer definition across our enterprise. We need excellent product content so we can enable that web-based experience that our services people are trying to create. You will always find somebody at an enterprise, not just one person, but a group of people who absolutely get it, but they tend to be really frustrated because the organization isn't backing it up. So that's kind of what I see is really important. It's cr- mission critical for anybody in data management is to align it with the strategic intentions of your enterprise. Find that exercise really simple, but you've got to do that. That's got to be your elevator pitch. We're going hybrid. We're going, you know, analytics, graph hub, fabric mesh. We're doing, you know, it's like quote from my puppet video. They just glaze over. They just, and a lot of that stuff is the how. It's not the why. A lot of it, almost all of it's that. That's right. And that's such a fantastic way to show the importance of the concept to highlight the business need for master data. It starts the right conversation and it continues to direct the practitioners and the people trying to make the difference in there to get their data to be master data. It keeps their conversations going to the business side whenever they need to deal with stakeholders, which I think is extremely necessary. What pitfalls do you see when people are starting to execute on their path to master data? So they take your advice, they can start talking about master data in more of a business sense, and there is an appetite in the business. Sometimes it's assumed by business people that the master data side might be easy or might be quick. What are the pitfalls that you see people when they go on the journey? First of all, doing too much too quickly or trying to talk about too much. That's classic Mm. with any big implementation, right? Get the quick wins, get the early wins, and continue to reinforce the business value. It's almost a cliche now. It's hard to do. And ways to do that are to Mm. find these little anecdotes. Find the folks who get it already, especially on the business side. And don't underestimate, I get this counsel from the consultants that I work with who are more implementers. I I try and get people in the room and say, okay, this is important. And then Mm -hmm. there are other folks there who are much better than I am in saying, okay, here are the first 10 steps you got to take, but I learn it from them. Don't underestimate the cultural changes that need to happen. It's almost Mm -hmm. like trying to introduce recycling to a family. No, you've got to move it over there. And then I kind of generalize here, but my story and my approach I've found really relevant to any enterprise. If you're an Mm -hmm. enterprise company and define that however you like, you've got enterprise systems, you're in a couple countries, you've got a complicated go-to-market, you've got X million in revenue. So if you're an enterprise, you have these enterprise data problems. 
how do you convince the organization? How do you win them over to support it? So as I was saying, my experience has been, there are kind of three buckets of people. They're not always proportional, but there's the folks who get it, absolutely get it. They're like the sales guy who knows data is the way he's going to make his number, the operations person who knows that data-enabled activity is going to be able to scale, the finance person who realizes, look, we don't want to do this manually. We've got to get this insight. And again, they don't care how. They're just like, give me the stuff and I'll make it sing. They're the people way over on the other end who are just never going to change or resistant for a lot number of reasons. Either we've always done it this way or in a lot of cases, you can kind of justify some of their attitude, which is this is the 12th time we've heard about this brand new data thing coming along and I got my work to do. But a lot of those folks are kind of stuck. And then there's the people in the middle who are kind of could go either way. So my counsel to folks is find that first group, the lovers, the people who get it, get it, get it, make a list. I mean, exact, make a database. I've done that when I've worked with organizations, even when I'm full-time or even as a consultant, it's like, get that list of folks who get it and try and help use their help to sway that middle section. And those folks who are just sitting there not going to help them, you know, odds are they're not going to be around much longer anyway. I hate to be that yeah. brutal, but you can't win everybody over and... Always make sure the business folks, as high as you can go, are embracing this. And there's a risk when you go into your CEO's office, you got to deliver. But if you're confident that what you've got is going to change the nature of a business and master data is an ingredient that can actually literally change the nature of a business, you should be emboldened to go, look, these are things we can do for that, I think, is more ravenous than it's ever been. So true. What would you say to people that might see that our master data is similar to data engineering or, or related to data engineering. Do you see those as different? And if so, how? Master data is an outcome. So however you get there, I mean, data engineers should be involved, data stewards, data ops, data scientists, they all get value out of that. But I don't really see those as in any kind of conflict unless I'm missing something because you still need the content. You still need that. If data is an asset, hooray, then master data is the most important data asset. And it's a tangible thing. You've got to have that. So you can't just talk it. You put the system in place, doesn't happen by itself. And the result of that asset appears in very, the ability to answer really simple questions quickly in an organization. Like I brag on this in my uh, puppet video, right? We need to fix the quarterly reports. No matter what else is going on, we need good, solid hierarchies. We need to make sure we're not sending a sales guy into one division of a company when the other division of that company we actually have a contract problem with or mm. bad debt. So those kinds of really, how many customers do we have? What are our best verticals? What are our best categories? What are our best markets? They're all very basic questions from an organization. I really like your approach that it's practical business and value outcome that you focus on on the enabling piece and on what can be done with the asset. Do you find that that people struggle to take the conversation in that way? Or do you find that, that people get more attracted to it when it's presented to them in those business outcome ways, in those very practical and enabler terms? When you're going for funding, you got to stick mm. to the value mm. terminology. When I'm with a bunch of practitioners and I stop understanding what they're talking about, mm -hmm. I know they're making progress technically. I can get lost very quickly in some of the more in-depth technical aspects of mm. it because that's not my space. I play my position. I think I play it really well, but I know my position. Again, why not how? 
But I also think that it's part of the problem. So while I'm out there kind of advocating, no matter what, you know, you guys yeah. need better data. And I'm doing a lot of stuff in social, as you've seen. And where I mm. get picked on is when people pick on me technically. They're like, well, you know, that's not really master data. That's really reference data. That's metadata is more important than master data. And I go, okay, but that's part of the problem. This bickering is part yeah. of because a business stakeholder walks into that conversation and you got two practitioners bickering about whatever it is, pick it, you know, hybrid on premise reference mat. And they go, they can't even agree. Why should I bother? Correct. And you got to keep that stuff, get the win first, get the funding, show the value. They really, really as proud as you might be of that design. It just doesn't matter to them. I've seen these chrysanthemum graphs. I see all this kind of, again, reference layout. It's like, I know that's what makes it work, but that's behind the scenes for me. And that's not, mm. you know, I have deep respect for the folks who get it done. Again, you don't have the why. It doesn't matter how. Exactly. No, and, and we need people like you in the industry to be advocating for this and to be making it so relevant and engaging and real for non-technical people so they get the urgency and the size of the problem and therefore the resources and the funding can be allocated to it. So it's right what, what you're doing. No, that's super. And I thoroughly enjoy it. I, that, I mean, that is really my objective is to help people get more support for the work they're already trying to do. So when I talk to a group, I do a lot of events. I generally say it's not the people in the room we're trying to have understanding. Yeah. It's yes. the people who aren't here. It's, you know, yes. in some cases, the people who are wondering why you're even here. Why are you wasting your time yeah. here? Because we need to tell that story. So if I can help you tell the story better with a better analogy, it's the new oil. With a better way to, a little nugget, a little twist of phrase. I mean, I've had people, I, I put something out on the, on the LinkedIn where I just, I make these statements that are kind of fun. I said, okay, mastery is your most important data. And somebody wrote back like five paragraphs with a whole bunch of outlining, and a, but, which was all right. But my comment, my response back again was, my pitch is for the elevator. You don't have yeah. time to go through all that. I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, again, there's, you know, I'm one phase, I'm first couple steps of the journey, and then you bring it, you know, you've got to mm -hmm. do the whole thing and you've got to have the right role. But what I found really exhilarating and super fun is there's not a lot of folks kind of going for the wall like I do in whatever kind of dramatic, entertaining, fun. Yep. Humor. And again, it's super. I'm doing the stuff now that I have enjoyed the most in my entire career. So on a really? personal basis, I'm really just doing puppet shows. It's a blast. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm doing events. I'm doing content. But it's a lot more, again, back to my sort of anecdote about being in history class and doing a movie. It's mm. a lot more fun to do a puppet show than it is a white paper. And what's going to break through today? And it's much more acceptable to do some of this more out there stuff. Video is the thing now, and it's easier to do a two-minute video, and it tends to be more impactful, get more engagement than to write a thousand-word blog. Yeah, definitely. So it's still important. I can do all that stuff, not that I'm bragging mm -hmm. here, but it's just what's going to get the attention, and I'm a guy out there trying to get attention from this space. So that's really where I kind of focus well, which is fantastic because a lot of times the uh, people in the data space, we are our own worst enemies by the lengthy explanations like you mentioned. And data folks often want to go for 100% quality right at the beginning instead of realizing that very often 
most times than not, we need to take people on the journey and start them out by enticing, uh, helping them understand and making people not feel threatened by the space anymore, not think that it's overly complicated. And there's a lot of people, you know, that when they hear data, their mind immediately goes to maths. This is going to be maths. I was bad at maths at school. I right. remember almost <laughs> failing that maths in year four. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, then, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge fan of your approach. And tell me more about this, you having the best time of your career right now. What has either led you to this or did you feel like you were that you had to allow yourself to do this? How did you get to having the most fun in your career? That's a great question. So it's just, you know, I worked at big companies. I was mm. successful there. I was always kind of trying to be more of the visionary part. I worked at Dun & Bradstreet to help them actually get their master data story right. It was their second biggest business and it wasn't even on the website. So early on, I had a customer tell me, I sort of referred to this in my journey earlier, but a customer actually said to me, we know why we're buying it, but they don't know why they're selling it to us, which you don't want to be mm. on the other side of that conversation. And so you needed techniques. Again, I've always been a communicator. So, and I've been doing consulting. And then literally a year ago, I started to do more of these videos. I had a whole cadre of videotape presentations that I'd done. And at D&B, I was able to really hone a much more refined story. And then I did it globally because I traveled literally the world with them. It all, and that for me, even having been in the data business for decades, that's when I validated for my own self, you know what? This thing plays everywhere. These are common problems. People's mm -hmm. issues are really more the same than they are different. You get 12 people come up to you at a conference and all 12 of them are describing the same problem differently. So at this foundation, level, it was really relevant horizontally across every kind of vertical. And like I said, I've always been creative. So I started doing a couple of little videos and putting them out there. And my objective in 2019 was, okay, can I create content that people will think is relevant, not representing mm. a brand? Because I always did it as part of some sort of marketing yes. or pitch. So I had yes. a product. Now the product's me. It's the product is, it's not mm. even a product. It's just, is this content engaging enough? Can I build some sort of following? And frankly, can I get sponsored to be able to do one and two? And this year has been like, yes, 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 all the way across. So it's been really thrilling and really validating for me because it is catching on and people are loving it. I'm making all these, I mean, you and I met on LinkedIn, right? So it's, I absolutely got, it was funny. It was like mid-year. I went, oh, social media, right? Social. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they call it that. You know, you're being social. It may seem like duh, but it was all of a sudden it kind of building these friendships on social media platforms and really seeing the reaction. I mean, that for me is just so gratifying. So I just took more and more what people would consider were risks. It's like, all right, I can do a talking head video. Mm. Now let me try something with a cartoon. Let me see these puppets yeah. if they work. And it's just gotten better and better. And so on a personal basis, again, I've always been a really good public speaker. I always love to do mm. events. I truly did love to do this stuff. And no matter where I was, I would write an article or I would be the guy to do the kind of thought leadership. And now it's, you know, people are making a living at it, which I am too. So yeah. it's really nice. But it was always sort of an adjunctive thing. And then to see, okay, can I really focus on this? Can I really make this into something? And does it have a purpose? So when, yes. when people say to me, I use that quote. I use that slide. I mean, literally, I published that puppet video three weeks ago. I've already, by the time this broadcast, there will be three conferences that people have used it at. It's hilarious. So I know I'm onto something. And looking yes. at the space, again, I think I'm fortunate because my expertise is in data management. If it was business mm. intelligence in any sort, AI, ML, you got people covering that. 
you know, who yeah. are fantastic presenters, who have all this experience, who have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers. So I kind of looked at what's going on in the data management space. Mm. And there's a lot of people talking about, but I knew there was a chance to kind of oh, break huge. through Yes. And again, it's unsung. It's not cool. But you get those folks, you know, like you, like the folks who get it. They're like, yay, yeah. hooray. You know, let's follow that standard and have a yes. little fun here. But to do this video with a bunch of puppets that are complaining about buzzwords and to have the most surprising reaction was the consistent set of comments where people said, this is my life. Oh, 100%. Every day. That's how I felt. I just, yeah. I just got out of the I'm like, you know, it's a puppet. It's a dog and a bee and an ape dog. This is what I live but in. But I got to fix the quarterly reports. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's me. That you've just. And so that was like super fun. Super fun. So and there's more to come in that. I definitely have more uh, episodes that I'm working working on because I'm on this. This is not a one shot thing. This is definitely definitely not. No, you need to keep going with that. You need to keep going. The other thing, by the way, personally, just to mention on a personal basis, I have the least amount of of accountability since probably high school. So, you know, Uh my kids are grown. I've got the bandwidth got the space you know you can't do this when you got three kids mm. and a mortgage and all that kind of stuff it's like i think you maybe you could but i wouldn't have had the chutzpah to sort of take that leap but now it's just i'm really at a really fortunate time and again every day is just a, is a blast that's great that's great to know because that was one of going to be one of my follow-up questions what was the trigger for you to make the jump so it sounds like the planets aligned in terms of the personal side and the professional wanting to do it so tell me what's the philosophy behind your content and i ask this question because one of the things that i really enjoy about your content is that it feels so tell me whether i'm right or wrong but it feels like your aim is to help to educate to assist to help people have these conversations at the other at, at the right way at the right level etc but it doesn't feel like you got a hook in there it doesn't feel like you're trying to make a sale like you're trying to get something from these people in that first interaction. It feels like you're giving and you're caring and you're wanting to make a difference. And essentially to say, it seems to me that your philosophy is kind of around the sense of like, as long as I give and I help, everything's going to be fine. What's your philosophy? You nailed it. I mean, you've absolutely nailed it. And again, I was fortunate enough to go, okay, let me just share this out there. And Mm. it became really liberating not to be tethered to a brand, not to be representing, because I've always been on the supplier side. So you're always careful to make sure that the sale process and the customer journey, not that I'm insulting people now, but I'm a little more glib and a little more out there for the point, just to make the point. And so that freedom is really, again, really exhilarating. And I've got a couple of taglines I use all the time. One of them is put your data to work. It just seems really Mm -hmm. simple. That resonates with folk. It's like not about managing the data all the time. It's like what you're going to do with it. And I really felt and it and it happened. Again, you got to take this leap and it may seem a little bit idealistic, but I watched a lot of folks over the year and listened to a lot of people who are in the space doing similar things that I'm doing, but in other categories. And they all said the same stuff. If you give enough and people recognize the value stuff's going to come back. And it absolutely has. I mean, people have come like, can you do this work? Can you help us with this? Can you do this event? And what's really funny for me is because my hook is 
you're watching, you know, you're listening to what I do. This is what I, I help people tell better Correct. stories. So and people go, well, what's your product? This is it. I don't know how I'm not, <laughs> yet, but it's like, let me do your event and I will keep the enthusiasm and the energy and the interest up for two days through every mm-hmm. session. I'll keep it going. And I'm good at that and panels and kind of on my feet on stage. And now I'm starting to look for and talking to people about more formal strategic sponsorships of, okay, help me do this stuff. You know, I might not be on brand, but I'll be on target for you. You want that audience. You want those people in the door. I'll get them really excited. And then you come in with what you've got. And Correct. so that's really working. That model for me works. So it's it's probably half the posts I've done this year and somewhere or other are sponsored, meaning I'm talking about an event. I'm talking about somebody's capability. But again, at a really high level, I don't get into functionality. I don't get into again, demos. I don't get into yes. sort of the specifics. But if you're in the data, man, if you're an enterprise, you need better data. If you need help yes. getting better data, there are other data companies, software providers, consultants, service providers that can help. So again, sort of a top funnel guy, but you hit it right on the nose. It's like, okay, if you can give enough, people will give back and it's working. I get all, I think in my attitude and just kind of my esprit that I have with life, it's like, I'll talk to anybody at least once. So you know, yeah. it's like, you want to have a 20 minute conversation? But I listen to those first, especially those first couple minutes, because when people describe what they do, I listen really closely to how they do it. Most people aren't really very good at it, yeah. regardless of their capability. And again, that's where I, I'm not a product manager. I'm more the marketing, mm. you know, more so the outside of the box. How do you get people excited about it? What's the value proposition? And a lot of that comes from just being a good salesman. You've got to listen. You've got to, there are a lot of techniques involved and I'm fourth generation sales. So it kind of comes in my family. Those things help every day. Those things help every day. Exactly. They do. They definitely do. I think that the reason why sales sometimes gets bad rap, even though the skills are so useful, is because of what the skills are being put to use for. And in that case, it's to drive the conversion of that sale. Well, in your case, you're using those skills for a message that is bringing people out of the woodwork and helping them find a way to get their work and their passion spoken about in a manner that can reach more people and can engage more people. So I think that you're using these great set of skills in a way that's helping the industry and that is not a purist, but being practical and helping people get their work elevated to a point that they can do more of it and they can have the impact that they that they want to have. That's absolutely anyway, it. I mean, that's, great. that's my goal. That's what we're trying to do, right? Yeah. So that's what, and you've got to be, and again, on a personal basis, and I love that you sort of delve into that too. If you can figure out what you're really good at, that's mm-hmm. important. It took me a while to go, okay, one of the best things, I'm not bragging here, I'm just sort of talking about, one of the absolute yeah. best things I do is get on stage. It's like the bigger the crowd, the better I am. And it's the most fun I have. Anywhere I've worked, the relationship I might have with my leader or other executives in that organization changes when they see me do what I am the best at. And a lot of people uh-huh. don't get that chance. And mm. so now knowing that, it's like, okay, that's what I'll do. And we, you know, public speaking, there are plenty of people who think that's the last thing they want to do. And so kind of jumping in there, that part, again, is really fun. And to be able to do that more and more. And there's a lot of tech. I took a lot of drama in college. I mean, I draw on those skills constantly. That gives me a different perspective and a different foundation when I come in in some of those situations. 
just knowing a lot of those techniques, understanding them. Your voice is right. You're looking for the light. You're making your points. You have your objectives. You're using different kind of tonality when you talk. I record everything I do and then listen to it, which can be really hard. I rehearse yeah. a lot. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, you know, it's just, yeah. people just don't wing it. And there's a lot of folks out there who will do their presentation the first time for real when they have to do it for real. Right? <laughs> Why would you practice when it has to happen? And, you know, everybody trains, professionals train, they do drills, they do, I mean, you, you just do that. And uh, it's we're sort of getting into more generalized techniques in business, but those things are really important. And what's nice now is, along with data management, along with master data, the idea of storytelling, the idea of conveying yes. things on an emotional level is, I'm probably seeing more about that now than I ever have. So mm. having had some experience in that, it's natural and lovely to see that being looked at as a real thing in ways that- Very I real thing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Very so real. So very it's necessary. kind of fun to kind of stumble in a sort of a perfect storm of opportunity with a lot of stuff going on for me personally that go, okay, I'm in the right place at the right time. Because absolutely, you know, this is, again, I love this sort of part of it. It wasn't that long ago where you go, okay, you've been in the business for a while. Things are changing. Are you relevant anymore? Mm. Is what you're doing important anymore? Well, I could mm -hmm. talk about this Nielsen experience decades ago. Does that have any connection to today when everybody's mm -hmm. saying everything's changing so much you won't even recognize it? And those are kind of ups and downs and you got to find that. You got to validate yes. it. And it's got to be real. People have to respond. There has to be a back and forth because if they're not responding, then you're not making the points. And that's important to gauge that, to monitor that, to look for that, to know you're on target. I think that you are on target. <laughs> so definitely, please Super keep thing. going. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, Tell me how, how for sure. Oh, it's great. How did you land on the Data Whisper? Oh, that I just picked up. I was kind of playing with a couple of things that actually didn't work. And I was at Dun & Bradstreet yeah. and I was yeah. a subject matter expert and it just yeah. hit me one day. And again, I'm not the only data whisperer out there. I'm just yeah. kind of yeah. like pound on it. And I actually say, I think in a fairly generous way, when I do these events, I go, we're all data whisperers. You know, we're all trying to calm data down. But it's initially, I just started <laughs> introducing myself as that. And people were just, again, the response, people were like, oh, that's great. I'm like, all right, I'm keeping it. It seems to work as kind of a sub brand and, uh, it's a yeah. blast. So I don't, and again, I, I kind of couch it in position, I think, in the right way. But now I have it on my badge. I really go for it. So, you know, being a branding guy and a marketing guy, it's like when stuff works, you got to be really bold and overt about it. And 100%. So yeah. So it's really kind of fun. It's not a totally original notion, but it's like, so what? You know, there's a lot of things out there that Correct. have an aid to it. And um, I think I have a point of view, and that's important too. Like to have a defined point of view, to be able to support it, to believe it. And it's happened a lot with me. You know, you're the only guy in the room who thinks this way. But you think that you see something that people don't see and you got to mm -hmm. find ways to convince them. And, you know, if, unless you're the absolute ruler of that room, they're not going to listen to you most of the time because they see it. Mm -hmm. So that just comes from understanding people, emotional intelligence. You know, there's a lot of work on that, but just having the ability to hear people out and see how you can bring them along to your perspective. It's fantastic. And what about Meta, Meta Consulting? So Meta Meta Consulting, where it's about what it's about. So it's kind of a fun name. Yeah. There. So it's me and my business partner. <laughs> and again, we talk about talking about it. So it was kind of a fun name, Meta and Metadata. So it played there too. We didn't have like a big branding meeting, but that's just kind of, when you come up to somebody and you have a badge on in a conference and it says the data whisperer and you already get a little bit of a smile or they go Meta Meta, which is, you know, a little bit tongue in cheek. You've already yeah. broken through to a certain level. And that's, that's right. Those 30 seconds where you're just figuring out how to talk to somebody. But we help people talk about it. So I'm doing work for 
service providers at events, at content-based stuff. I also picked up an engagement, which is really exciting for me, at an enterprise because I was a little skittish about sort of working behind that because I don't do the actual okay. practitioner work. But what they asked for, they said, look, we need some strategic mentoring for our data governance program. I said, that I can. And that's basically, look, our organization as a whole, our business stakeholders, our leadership doesn't understand the value of what we're trying to build here. We're on our third MDM implementation. They've got all the piece parts, but they're always having to sell it. That's the struggle that the whole category deals with. Why do we all have to sell data? You don't sell financial management. You don't sell sales. Mm -hmm. You know, I hope, you know, when you look at some of your questions, where is the future going? I hope there's a day where we no longer have to continually sell why we're doing this. Yes. You'll always have, you know, the fight for budgets or whatever, but nobody questions the need for and the value of financial management, sales management. You know, you wouldn't have a business without it. So data is getting to that point. So if I can help in my way, in my little way, sort of move that along, then I'm a yeah. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> That's outstanding. Scott, this has been so much fun. Wow, <laughs> I love, done I love the work that you're doing. I know. I know. This is great. Right um, where can people find you online? I'm all over LinkedIn. I kind of focus on there probably disproportionately. MetaMeta Consulting, we've got an okay website, but really find me on LinkedIn. I've been watching my own kind of search. If you Google the data whisper, I now come on the first page, right? If you look for my stuff, I've got a YouTube playlist of everything I post, but my primary place is LinkedIn. And I invite people, you got to me, find my stuff. If you like it, that's great. If you want to use it, go for it. It's really out there to help explain if it helps you explain what you're trying to explain, you can't steal it from me. It's yours. Take it and make that, I love it. Make that happen. So if you can take a picture of you using it, that's fun. If you can encourage people to follow me for more, that's great. But it really is out there as a way, the vocabulary, the voice, the nomenclature that people use. I feel like I'm trying to play a role to help people clarify that. And like you said, move the business forward. Let's move the business. Yes, definitely do. Awesome. Well, thank you so this much. So fun. This, yeah, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. I didn't even get I to know. Data science. How do you like great. that? <laughs> this is the important stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> absolutely uh, brilliant. This was so fun. And uh, anytime at all. Uh, Stay definitely. tuned. More to come. More puppets to come. More cartoons to come. More wacky stuff to come. I'm looking forward to it. Super. Thank you so much. I wanted to tell you about the RMIT Online Masters of Data Science Strategy and Leadership. I was one of the industry advisors for this program. It's an online master's program and it covers both data science strategy and leadership and it has also a technical component. Highly, highly recommended for people wanting to get ahead. With the program, you can gain this advanced strategic leadership and data science capabilities required to influence executive leadership teams and deliver organization-wide solutions. For more information, visit online.rmit.edu. I wanted to tell you about We Are Rubik's, one of Australia's leading pure data consulting companies delivering project outcomes for some of the world's leading brands. Growing rapidly and with offices in Melbourne, Sydney and the US, Rubik's are as serious about analytics as they are about their pinball. True story, they have like 10 pinball machines in their Melbourne head office. If you're interested in joining a passionate and vibrant team who make work fun, Head to wearerubix.com and get in touch today. That's wearerubix, all one word, 
wearerubix.com and get in touch today. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.